Welcome to another episode of Corporate CPR, where we breathe life back into your organization, projects, and processes, giving you insights to recovery and avoiding corporate mortality events. Joining us today is Land Bridgers. Land has over two decades of experience in the financial services industry and serves as the CEO of Integrated Financial Group, which provides business support services, regulatory compliance oversight, human resources, business consulting, investment solutions, marketing, and professional coaching to its members. Welcome, Land. I'm so glad you could join us today. Thanks, Jana. Uh, happy to be here. <laughs> Tell us, uh, you know, anything else you think uh, might be good for our audience to know about your um, your interests in your career? Yeah, you know, it's it's fascinating because uh, Integrated Financial Group, we're actually a collection of independent financial planners. We have about 57 teams across nine states, and we help them with everything from continuity and succession planning to compliance, marketing, um, investment solutions, um, operations, things along those lines. So, you know, I, I think the, the interesting thing about the conversation most likely that we're going to be talking about today is we have a lot of experience of advisors all in different aspects of their life and different stages of their career. And this conversation of helping them to achieve their goals and reach their full potential is, is just paramount in today's world. Yeah, so we, um, while you are most definitely an expert in um, uh, finance, we're going to talk a little bit of HR here. So you seem to have a passion for um, um, employees and, and creating um, an environment that, that really focuses on people. And so today I want to talk a little bit about succession planning. So, you know, in, in corporations, um, there's a lot of focus put on that. And, and I just want to know from your perspective, um, why is focusing on succession planning so critical? Well, you know, it, it, it goes back to your clients. You know, it, for all of us, we're, we're building up something. No matter what your business is, you have clients. And you ultimately want to have something if something should ever happen to you or this, you know, essentially this relationship that you built up, it, it, it makes it doesn't make a lot of sense just to let it fade away. You know, I think the numbers that are if if a financial planner advisor passes away unexpectedly by 90 days, every one of those clients is gone. Mm -hmm. But if there was a continuity and a strong succession plan in place, then ultimately those relationships stay. But if you're building up a business, there's a value to it. And ultimately, you want that to pass on to a successor or ultimately that's your family to, to benefit from all of your hard work that you put into it over the years. It's a shame for it to just fade away. Yeah. And I guess, you know, if we take that up and scale um, while maybe, you know, in, in a more corporate environment, um, it's important for the health of the company. Otherwise, oh, yeah. you know you've got to have that longevity or the continuity, I should say, of um, driving the strategy, wouldn't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I, it's, you know, you should always be thinking about the kind of what the next generation is, the next leader. You should always be grooming the next people to be able to step in. And if you have a strong vision, a strong corporate culture and a strong you know, business plan and all those things intact, if you're continuing to groom the next people, then you should be in a pretty good position for this to be more of a perpetual, perpetual corporation or entity uh, than than just ending when that person's gone. And we've seen, I guess, a lot of instances where um, 
I don't know if, if the grooming hadn't happened. I, I guess I don't know in that de detail, but maybe it wasn't the right person to replace. You know, when you think about um, when Steve Jobs left or Howard Schultz left Starbucks um, and the first times, both of those for the first time around, the company took a dip. So what are your thoughts about finding, you know, the right person and, and, and how do how do we do that? Well, you know, it's, I think that's a big challenge. It, it's hard. You know, it's those guys are like the Vince Lombardi's of, of, you know, the, their business. And how do you replace a Vince Lombardi or a Dean Smith? Or, you know, you think of, you think about it from a sports analogy. That's, that's really a tough thing to do. Ultimately, I, I believe, I believe it's got to be somebody internally. And I know in both those situations, they did look internal, but it's got to be somebody who's able to come in there and, you need to come in and be able to make the changes. That's probably why there was a transition and why um, at Starbucks that he stepped down and same thing with, with Apple. I know it's different circumstances there, but you have to have, be able to come in with a plan, but you also need, you can't come in there and just reverse the ship in one day. You know, there's got to be things that the common agreements that, that those who were there before you um, that you kind of tap into and like, Hey, let's rally around those things and let's start making subtle changes around the outside. I think when people step in and try to make massive changes at one time, you know, the, the boat starts rocking and that's where people start to get really nervous. So mm -hmm. I think having a very, you know, these succession plans, they can't just be on a whim. I, you know, I know we have one internally and this is what I've been going through. It's been a 10 year plan and it's gone very smoothly because it's been planned out for a long time. And I think the, I think a lot of these times where, all of a sudden you have someone stepping down pretty quickly. It, it really rocks the boat in such a way that I think in their case, shareholders and their current management team and staff are, are very concerned. Yeah. And I guess though, the challenge there, especially in large corporations. So I think Jack Welch, Welch did a lot of that, like trying to get a strong bench, um, but it might take a while for that leader to leave. And so that person you were grooming, um, uh, may may end up, um, you know, fine, taking an external position. So what are your thoughts around having more than one person or how do you mitigate that, that, you know, risk of the person now that you've invested in your example, 10 years leaves? Well, that, that's the great challenge. You know, it's a, it's a balancing act. And so, you know, there's a great line that I've heard before and I'm, I'm sure you probably too, but a CFO comes up to the CEO and says, Hey, what if we invest in our people and really train them up and they leave? And what if the CEO, CEO says, well, what if we don't invest in them and they stay? Right. And so yeah. you think about it from that standpoint, you know, I, I'm really involved with a, uh, I'm on a board of a school and we've had a lot of the, the high school principals leave to go be heads at other places. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge compliment when that happens, but you do have to constantly have such a deep bench that, that the next person's ready to step up. And so I think that is a challenge where not only, hey, let's put the systems and the processes in place and the incentives for someone to stay, but let's also continue to build up a strong team. And just like you saw with, with GE, um, one person is going to get picked. You know, only one person can really be in the role and people's feelings are going to be hurt. Um, I think I think it's one of those things where we have such a team and understand that it's going to be part of business is that you are going to lose great people. Um, as hard as you try, it's going to happen. Um, that's just the nature of it. So what are the, some of the things, activities uh, um, that you go through with with the person or people that you're trying to bring up as part of your succession plan? I mean, how do you how do you mentor them to uh, take your place? 
Well, so they one of the most important things is they have to be perceived across the company, whether no matter what the department as, you know, as one of them. Um, it, I think it's extremely important that they have to understand the finance. They have to understand operations. They have to work with people in finance, work with the people in operations. You know, in our in our industry, they, they better understand compliance, because uh, if you're not in financial services, if you don't understand compliance, there's not much you can do. But I think the opportunity to work and lead different departments over time, one, it's like a promotion from each one, but they're getting to work with those people. They're getting ready to build relationships with those people in those departments. And ultimately, I think that allows for a, a much more adhesive and much more, uh, what I'm going to say, smoother transition when they have that ability where they to actually have the chance to work together. Because if there's if you're having somebody like, hey, I know he was on that side of the company or she was doing that. I've never really. And now that person's in charge. I, I immediately say, what does that what does that mean for me? And so I think having the ability to work in all the different departments is a huge part of that process. And so what happens, I guess, then um, if you do end up having to look externally for whatever reason, perhaps perhaps we're in a rescue mode, right, with the organization yeah. and you have to have somebody turn the ship or, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. What are what are your thoughts around how to set that up to be the most successful? Yeah, that's a real challenge. I, I believe that's that's tough. I, I personally have not been through that before. I've been in a position where I've seen somebody come in from the outside with all the the great um, resume, uh, all the experience, seems like a great person. And what happened in that scenario is they came in and I think they were doing really good things, but the, the founder kept, you know, kept them on a short lease, leash, w wouldn't let them make the necessary changes that needed to be made. So I think, you know, it's one of those things you, you got to find the right person they have to write the right experience and the right tool set. But ultimately, ultimately, you're coming into a new culture for that person and an established culture. And sometimes cultures need to make change, you know, be changed up. But ultimately, that's making sure that the right fit for that culture and that, you know, how we do business, I think, is, is extremely important. You know, I think you have to include senior management uh, on that, obviously, in that hiring process. But also, I would even go down a little bit further, you know, the, the message you can allowing other people to be able to say, Hey, I met with him. I met with her. They're great. They're, they're going to be the right person. The more that you can have that seep through an organization, I think the better off you would be. Yeah. I, you know, I think that's kind of the, the challenge in general with just the hiring process, you know, it's, it's, everybody's putting their best foot forward. And so it's very hard to understand if it's a good fit. I, um, I like Dave Ramsey talks about uh, in his organization how he, you know, takes the like takes the the uh, um, future employee and their spouse to dinner and, you know, a bunch of people join and, and just trying to create a lot of opportunity to get to know the individual. But obviously that takes a lot of investment. Um, to be able to spend that much time. So, um, but, you know, if it, if it reduces your turnover, it's probably, probably well, worth it. I can speak for, you know, when we hire financial advisors here, when we hire just about anybody, uh, we have a spouse interview. So we're mm -hmm. either going to go to dinner with them, to lunch with them. You, you really can tell a lot by how spouses interact with each other. Um, you know, if I'm interviewing a lady and I see how she interacts with her, her husband in this scenario, then I, you know, I'm, you can tell a lot about how does it match up with what I saw in the conference room. 
And we do the same thing with, you know, for me, when I took over a success successor last year is back in 2013, I went through 18 interviews. Wow. And in our process to bring on an advisor, it's about a 12, 12 to 13 step process where a lot of people are involved in it and we're putting them through situations or, or asking them questions where we're going to gain a pretty good feel of, okay, is this, are they just putting up a front or is this really who they are? Yeah, no, that's, that's a, um, really important to break through that. I mean, um, and, and I, I think I heard Dave Ramsey say something similar about also if the spouse isn't on board, um, with the role, then the longevity of that person being there is probably not, not high because obviously the spouse is a huge influence in, in, um, in your life. <laughs> well, I, you know, I can tell you a story from years ago, we actually met with a, a potential financial planner, start a business here with us and met with his spouse, with his wife as well, and kind of walked out of it and just basically said, I don't think he's meant to be a business owner but I would hire her in a second. So it actually kind of flipped around the other way. That's funny. No, that's good. Um, so what about uh, things like uh, mentorship? I mean, like what, what good practices do you see around, um, you know, investing in those people and what are those, you know, kind of key activities that you use, you know, to grow, a, grow somebody to, you know, your vision? Well, yeah, ultimately you want to, you know, people to reach their full potential. And so, you know, I know something that's really important to us here is identifying the people who we, you know, really want to believe we're going to be here long term, that we're going to have, you know, have an ultimate plan for them to get to where they are. Um, one of the keys, I believe, is, is I think a lot of people look at training and look at uh, different exercises they can go through where they will bring in an expert for a day, you know, spend a lot of money for a workshop. And then by two days, everybody's forgotten everything. One thing that we've really implemented for the last five years now is ongoing training that we do as a team. So we're actually, whether you are working at the front desk or whether you are one of our senior chiefs, chief compliance officer, we're all going through the same training. And it's really leadership development. The idea is that it doesn't matter where you are, what your role is. If you have any type of, of, a, of influence, you're a leader. And so we do the training, we break it up into teams. Um, I lead all those trainings. Um, sometimes I'll delegate them out to people, but we really believe in that ongoing training. And so we're picking topics. We're picking things that we're working through. We used a software for about two years. We've taken um, other ways to do it since then. But that ongoing training where it's not just a workshop here um, is, is key. Um, and then going back to what you said as mentors, I think it's so important for people to have mentors. And sometimes it's not about the specific role. It's about how do you handle yourself in certain situations? It's the idea of, hey, you know what? The meeting started at three. You show up at 257. You, you never show up at 301. It is, well, this is how you handle yourself when this conversation is happening. Sometimes I think it's the soft skills, the emotional IQ that a mentor passes down more so than, than actually about the, the at-hand job experience. Absolutely. Well, ha have you come across an instance where you um, maybe were working, developing somebody and start to, to find out maybe they aren't a, a good fit? Either they're good in their current role, but they're not going to move up further. Or maybe you're finding out culturally they're not a good fit for the organization. And if so, what, do you, what have you done at that point? 
Yeah, you know, I had a situation a few years ago with a, a business development officer where, you know, it everything was going great. And in the constant communication, and it's one thing that we do in a lot of our initial initial part of our, our weekly or bi bi-monthly meetings is, hey, what is going on? Like, how are you personally? How is your family? You know, and very genuine, very authentic about it. It's part of the conversation. And it was very clear that something was going on. Um, though the performance you know, over the past year had been really good. Um, the realization of, of this person realized they wanted more of a, a nine to five job than versus a career. And basically was able to sit back and say, here, it's Friday. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home over the weekend. I want you to talk to your spouse. I want you to think about this. And then I want you to come back on Monday and, and then let's talk again about it. Um, I don't want to drop an ultimatum on you, but we are going to have to make a decision. And it ended up being one of the best conversations. It was the best thing for them. It was the best thing for us. And they're now really happy with what they're doing at another firm. And we've been able to basically rehire to that position based on what we learned from that role. So mm -hmm. I think it's got open communication. You know, that's one thing that was really important to us is, you know, if I come to you and say, hey, Jana, how are you doing? A lot of people will do that and just keep walking but really stopping and understanding how people are doing. Um, I do think there's times where people have the desire to be successful, but they might not just have the capacity to do it, um, or they might not be capable enough to do it. And oftentimes you can hire someone into or promote someone into a position that you're actually setting them up to fail. And that's, not, that's not what you want to do at all. So being able to understand people's ability and make sure they're the right seat on the bus really is what we're talking about. Yeah, well, and so that's an interesting point as well in that, um, you know, what what happens if somebody's not prepared? Because you're right, if, it, you know, you can put them, oftentimes people get promoted to, to management and maybe they just got promoted there because they were doing a good job, not because they had leadership skills yet. Yeah. Obviously, you can teach leadership skills, um, but but what do you do if you have an open position and your person's not ready? What would your suggestion be? You know, so ultimately you got to be able to see things long-term. You know, one thing I, I try to do and I did it, I guess it was, if it's November right now, about two months ago, I just went up to the North Georgia mountains by myself, got a little cabin. First thing I do is I put the TV remote control away. So I never turn the TV on, but I have a flip chart and I, have, I bring my computer and I'm monitoring. And I sit there and think about actually went through every person on our team, you know, and said, Hey, where's that role going? Is that role, is that is the need for this role going to continue to go up and it's up or is it down? Um, what is this person's, this person's ability, if they're, can they continue to grow or have they kind of tapped out? Like where they are is the best position for them to be. And I really sat down and thought about all that stuff. Now, what happens, and I think this is kind of what you're getting at is what happens when that person leaves and now you have a vacancy and the natural progression is to move this person up because they're doing a good job but they've never led a team. They've never managed people before. And really, are they ready for it? So I think as depending on the size of the company, you might need to slide someone in to take over maybe the, the supervision part of it. But let me maybe let them manage the day-to-day the -day operations, but they might not be ready to manage people yet. And they might not be able ready to supervise others yet or to manage somebody else through somebody else. So I think I think you might need to I'm not going to say delegate out, but probably yeah, delegate out to somebody else with who has more experience until that person can be ready for it. Um, or somebody else is going to have to step in and fill that role. 
I don't think it's fair to put someone in a position where really you're, again, you're setting them up to fail. Yeah. So maybe be creative with how you're filling that role rather than it being an all or nothing, like either they're in the role or they're not, you know, could you place a mentor beside them to help, you know, bounce off ideas or, or, you know, help them uh, learn, what it takes to to lead people and, and invest in your team or it maybe even formal training i suppose um mm -hmm. could help but it really it's don't stick them in the position and then just leave them on their own <laughs> I, you know i think it we always laugh with entrepreneurs they're kind of like all right here's your department go run it right. and you know it's uh as i think as corporations or or businesses mature like you, you can't do that anymore that's really not it's not fair to them and it's not fair to the company either no, absolutely not. Um, have you seen instances where, um, you know, somebody gets into the position and they, they end up being the wrong person? And, and then if so, what did what did you do or what did, you know, the company do about that? Yeah, that, that's really hard. It, it, sometimes you just mess. You know, I think, you know, it's one of those things. And I always kind of like, you know, there's a little inflection point. And as you're going to, you know, at the, get, the space gets wider and wider and, the longer you let things go, the bigger gap, the gap that gets. And I always say the longer you let the problems like that go, the more it's going to cost and the harder it's going to be um, before addressing it. So I do think if you see something and you know what, hey, this is not the right fit. We didn't make the right hire. This isn't the right person for whatever it might be. The sooner you act on it, then the better off everyone's going to be, the, the, the individual included. Because the longer you let it go, again, the longer it's going to take the fix and the more money it's going to take to fix it. I do think you need to step in and address things. Uh, what I think I believe a lot of people do and what I've seen is, well, I'll just hire somebody to work alongside them to, to do what they aren't able to do. So now you have two people doing the job of originally it was for one. And so I, I don't think that's the right way to approach it. Um, I think you got to sit down and say, hey, we've seen this. This is what we're seeing as a deficiency. This is kind of a performance plan to make it better. These are the metrics that we're going to look at to see. And, and you got to ask the question, hey, do you really want to do you really want this role? Do you really want to get better? And I think you will actually you actually get a lot of, I think, information out of a question like that. Um, and one thing, I, if you don't mind, I'll add something else to that, Jano. One thing we do here is those conversations are hard. Nobody likes conflict. And so something that I think is very helpful is we actually have job descriptions. We, we depend on them and we manage with them. And so we have a ranking system um, and they go through each task. And, hey, if you're doing the job well, it's a three. If you're exceeding expectations, it's five. If it's one, you're not, you're not doing the job at all. And so we have them rank themselves and we rank them. And if somebody thinks they're a five and we think they were a two, well, that's not there's not that much conflict in it. It's, a, it's black and white. It's right there for us to talk about. That helps us 90 days into a role and six months and then 12 months into a role of, hey, where are the gaps that they're seeing versus what we're not seeing or vice versa? Yeah, absolutely. So when you're, you know, the, that documentation is important. Um, and I know a lot of us don't don't necessarily like to do it, um, but it, it does uh, make things clearer. or gives you a, a, a tool to measure against. So you know, thinking about that, thinking about, you know, metrics and, um, and, and other, you know, I guess you could say hard evidence. Um, what do you, what tools do you use to identify, um, 
uh, you know, potential successors? Is it just gut or, or is there more involved in there? You know, so I, I can speak for, from our perspective. We really believe that what makes an integrated financial group unique is, is this, this idea of a brain trust and caring and sharing for each other. And even though we have a bunch of independent business owners within the group, they are, um, they're still independent. But it's a unique group of people. And we, it's very tough, we think, for somebody from the outside to come in and truly understand um, how we operate and how things are done and how they would be received if you did that. So I think one of the things that we, we look at is, is we obviously do use job descriptions. We're, we have a certain amount of qualities and skills that we're looking for when, when we're, we're bringing people on. Um, we actually tap into our, our advisor client base. Like I said, I had 18 interviews. Eight of those interviews were with our current financial advisors here at Integrated Financial Group. And they were, they were not easy. Um, and then two were outside consultants. So it's, uh, it, we really make sure, you know, if I was, I'll put it this way, if I wasn't willing to go through all the 18 interviews, then I wasn't the right person. Hmm. And so it's almost a test in itself of how long, how long can you wait this out? Yeah. And I, but I guess, you know, one of the things and, and having multiple interviews would help with this is, you know, when I'm thinking about who replaces me, I may have a tendency to look for people like me. Um, and maybe that isn't the best option, right? Like, you know, and so it, it's really, you know, about how do we break down maybe some of those biases that we mm -hmm. are unconscious biases that we might have towards, um, you know, gravitating to people like us. But I think, you know, like you mentioned, the 18 interviews may be. Um, well, I think you make a great point. I think in, you know, a, there's a different type of person. I look at our firm, which started in 2003 and our founder and his skill set and my skill sets are different. Um, I don't know if I could ever do what he did. You know, I, and, and I think if you look at me, I, I'm, I'm never one of those people who are like, oh, go create this. No, I'm, I'm one of those people who look at something like, oh, I can take that and make it better. Mm -hmm. And I think the complementary nature. Now, I also realized, you know, as he was making this work from day one, he was wearing just about every hat. Well, I was been able to step in and, and really build a team. Uh, to to complement some of the, the shortfalls that I believe I have, so it's it was a different time in the organization. Um, requires for different things. It's uh, it's very much. I'll, I'll go back to being on the, on the board of a school. The the head who was the founder of the school was the right person to come in and build the school and 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 take it from nothing to, to what it is today. The guy who came in after him was the absolute right person to take it to the next level. Um, neither one of them could have done the other one's role very well. They were they were naturally suited to the position at the right time. Um, and so, you know, I do believe when we go back to it, that gut plays a major part in it. There's some people who just get the culture and they understand that uh, they have the natural ability to, to do that. They still have to learn all the aspects of the business. They still have to make sure they they're, they fit with the different 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 players within the organization. So I think all that's that's extremely important as well. What do you, how, how much do you think is a problem with, um, or do you see it a lot? I should say people procrastinating when it comes to succession planning. So, you know, working with independent financial planners, and this is what I know best, you know, the average age in our industry is 57, the average percentage in the industry. And I don't even know what it is, but it's extremely low that has a full continuity and succession plan. And so, you know, a, a very thing it's, it's kind of like the, the doctor who doesn't take care of his own health. It's, it's one of those things that it's, I think it's very tough for them to do because they're actually facing retirement or they're facing what, 
what's next? And I think it's a hard conversation for them to approach. One of the things that we do is require everybody to have a continuity plan day one. You know, and, and this year we, we had an advisor that we lost to COVID um, in August and it was a great, loved him. He was a great person, but had just done an evaluation, had just completed, you know, reinstated or reamended the, the operating agreement. So everything was put in place back in January of 2021 and, and redone with a new partner and things along those lines. So it, everything was actually taken care of. I know of far too many stories where that planning was not done. And procrastination is part of it. I think fear is part of it. It's because we're, we're, we're actually facing our own mortality sometimes that we just don't want to have that conversation. And if you look at, uh, you know, a lot of people, there's a reason why um, if you're talking to a life insurance person who does life insurance, nobody ever gets that stuff back to them in a timely manner because they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to do it. Um, and I think that's a big part of it is holding people accountable to make sure that they have a plan in place not just to protect their family, but to protect their, their their clients and their organization and all the ripple effects that come when the plan's not in place. Yeah, and I guess, you know, even in a larger organization where you're not necessarily planning for, um, you know, death, I mean, it still could happen, um, but, you know, it might be that you just know, you, you know, uh, the company knows you won't be there forever, whether you do or not, I guess could be the other, the other, uh, you know, it may, you may not. And, and I'm kind of wondering if that's that's it as well as just that, you know, fear to admit that, um, well, maybe maybe it's a little bit of egotism, like nobody else can do my job. But just, you know, not admitting the reality of at some point you won't be here anymore. And mm -hmm. people may just not want I mean, you know, you might still be alive, but you won't be at that company anymore. Uh, and I think sometimes you know, people get afraid to let go of what they've built, whether it's a department or a company or whatever the case. I mean, do you see that as well? Yeah, absolutely. I, I believe, especially especially we've been there for a long time. It, it's almost like it's, you know, what you've done becomes one of your children. You know, you don't want to let go. And mm -hmm. I think it's a natural human in, instinct. You know, I think some of the, the best leaders, you know, in our country and, and corporations were the ones who knew when the right time was to step away and didn't wait, wait, you know, and I, you know, you kind of go back to our first president, George Washington, you know, they wanted him to stay. And, and he said, Hey, no, let's, let's do this. The, what we do right now will change things for the next generations. And he, I believe he was absolutely right. I, I think a, a great leader is one who plans for the corporation to be there and functioning well after they're gone. And so if you can make decisions today, knowing, you know, hey, what is my successor? What would be what would he or she really want to have right now in the situation? Let's invest in that right now and have it before they're even here. And if you have that mindset that you want the corporation to be there 50 to 100 years after you're gone, then that's how you're going to think and how you're going to make decisions right now. Absolutely. Well, this has been a great conversation, Land. Can you give us kind of in closing your three tips around succession planning or your three takeaways from what we've talked about? Yeah, you know, I would say around succession plan, I'm going to phrase it this way. Uh, it's It takes planning and, you know, the best time to start right now. I, I believe it's a good one is at least a five to seven year plan, oftentimes longer. I believe that when you're actually managing all of this, the documentation, I'm going to kind of go back to it. 
a lot of this is gut and how you treat people, but also you got to have things written down. There's too many times in today's world where, hey, I'm going to promise you this or I'm going to do this or you know what? You're not the right person, but you don't really have it documented. Um, so planning documentation. Um, but ultimately, I'm going to kind of go back to what we talked about earlier. The idea of a mentoring and training people, making that a consistent part of your, your culture is hugely important. It can't just be a one day thing. It's got to be an ongoing, perpetual thing that everyone feels engaged and get something out of it. And mm -hmm. and inviting them into that process um, shows how much you care, not just about them, but, but their future as well. Absolutely. So, Land, if people wanted to get in contact with you or learn more about um, the Integrated Financial Group, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have a website. It's www.thebraintrust.net. And feel free to go visit the website. You'll learn a lot of information about us there. Um, there's actually, you can actually look on there and wait for to contact us and you can reach out to me. Of course, you can go on the website, my email and telephone numbers there. Um, and I'm happy to talk to anybody. Well, great. Thanks so much for your time today. Thanks so much, Shanna. Appreciate the time as well. Yeah. And to all our audience, until next time, keep your organizations healthy.